0: I work in the secular business world. I have for many, many years. i worked in corporate America, Fortune 500 companies in various levels of management, and then for the last six years, uh, owned our own business. We have a manufacturing company based out of South Carolina. Uh, We actually live in Chattanooga, though, so I have to commute back and forth. Kind of an arduous task, but uh, I have to drive back and forth. And it's been very rewarding, however. I don't get to meet people quite the same way you do, though. I have to be careful when I have conversations with people, especially when I was in corporate America, to make sure that I didn't try to proselytize or talk too much about religion because it's frowned upon. If you are doing that type of thing in the office with your colleagues, eventually you're going to be fired. So I had to be very careful, but I did have have opportunities to talk to people on airplanes, sometimes in the office or on business trips. The Holy Spirit's working amongst people everywhere, even in secular business America and in, in the business world, where a lot of people think it's all greed and, and corporate greed and such, there are a lot of really good folk and a lot of people looking for answers. And so it's been rewarding to be able to touch out to, to a few people here and there. I'm envious, though, that I don't get to focus 100% of my efforts like you do on, uh, on on just being out there reaching people as much as possible. But now that I own my own business, it's a little bit easier because I can't fire myself necessarily. So so I I feel uh. It's easier for me to, to reach out to folks. I have a lot of people that come in and buy our products, most of the customers that buy our, our vehicles. We build four-wheel drive motorhomes, by the way. But people that come in and buy our vehicles we usually will usually come to our facility in South Carolina, get a chance to make a, develop a relationship with them. Many of them are, are very new into new age, green type living. Uh, our vehicles are four-wheel drive and they're self-sustaining, so they, they take them and go out in the middle of nowhere. They travel in South America. Uh, up in Alaska, the backwoods of North America. We have two units going to Mongolia the next month. And so a lot of people that have different ideas of what, what spirituality is all about, but they're still looking. I've handed out quite a few great controversies. I've had lots of interesting discussions about end time events because people know something is happening. Whatever you believe in, something's going on. And so it sparked lots of conversations. So we have kind of a ministry, a little bit of commonality. I'm in, I'm in for-profit. You're A lot of you are in, in non, non-profit and, and ministries, but uh, we all have an opportunity to reach out to people around us and meet folks. I believe this is the first time I've ever given a business presentation to a group of Adventists. <laughs> I've, done, I've done dozens of presentations to uh, business folk. And... Uh, I've never had the opportunity to have prayer before a presentation until today. So if you join me for a moment. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that uh, we are here together in this beautiful place, in this beautiful day, to learn more about practices, to make our businesses and our ministries more efficient, and so that we can reach more souls for you. It's all about you coming soon, Lord, and we, we look forward to that great day, and we ask that you will indeed come very quickly. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you one example of what, it, what it's like in the, in the corporate world as far as religion is concerned. I worked in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the corporate headquarters for uh, a division of Eaton Corporation, and about 200 of us worked there. And one year after 9-11, we had a, a, a memorial service or a memorandum, memora, you know, like a little, how would you say, yeah, memorial service for marking the one-year anniversary of that. So we all went outside in front of the building, gathered around the flagpole, and one of the vice presidents gave a short speech. It was very powerful, very moving, a lot of tears shed. It was a very powerful time in America, those of you who are here and experienced that. But there was no prayer. I thought that was kind of odd. So the director of HR for the division was standing near me. I know her quite well, and I said, Diane, as we're going back into the building, I said, Diane, how come we didn't have prayer? She goes, we can't do that. You might offend somebody. I said, really? In one nation under God, we might offend somebody by having prayer over the 9-11 event. But that's how it is in secular America nowadays. Mm-hmm. We have to be careful what we do, who we talk to, and, and things that we say. So feel blessed every time you have an opportunity to approach somebody and talk to them about, about Jesus because it's a real opportunity, especially if they're, they're open and receptive to it. You never know when you get another chance. Yeah. So let me have a, I have a question for you. Well, first of all, before I start, um, most of the material I'm going to present is, are observations and things that I've learned over, the, over a few years. I am borrowing a little bit from a, a favorite author of mine. His name is Jeffrey Fox. He writes a whole bunch of these little books. How to Be a CEO, How to Get to the Top, How to Be Sales and Marketing, How to Be a Rainmaker. Really easy reads. Each chapter is literally about a page or a page and a half. And just powerful stuff about how you can be better at what you do. If you ever want to pick one up, you can read this halfway across in one of your plane trips, halfway across the oceans. It's an easy read, and it gets, it gets you kind of fired up about how to be a better business leader or ministry leader. Good stuff. Jeffrey Fox. If anybody wants to see this afterwards, I'm more than happy to show it to them. So I'm borrowing a little bit from, from him. So I have a question. Do you consider yourselves to be entrepreneurs? How many people consider themselves to be entrepreneurs? Every hand should be up, by the way. Okay, that's a trick question. You lead a ministry. You are a visionary and a leader of a ministry. You are, by definition, an entrepreneur. If you haven't thought of it that way, maybe you should. I'm an entrepreneur. I own my own company. I develop products. I set the vision. I set the strategy, and we execute on it. That's exactly what you folks do. You're entrepreneurs. If you work in a conference building... For any conference in in the world, for the Adventist Church, if you work in the conference building and are paid by the conference, you are not an entrepreneur. You might be at heart, but you're not an entrepreneur. You're an employee. When you work for yourself as an independent ministry, you're an entrepreneur. So let me ask the next question. Do you consider it okay to take some of the business practices in the secular business world and use those in your ministry? Oh, good. I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> so I don't have to try to convince you. I believe that there are practices in the business world that probably aren't okay. There are some things that take place that we all recognize aren't good. But by and large, great minds have thought of great ways to do things. A lot of it's based on biblical principle, by the way. And we can use that in our ministries, in our, in our businesses. So good. So I don't have to convince you. This is going to be a very easy presentation. Okay. So... Along those lines, and I want to take the very first part of this presentation and talk about how ministry can be as business. All right? It's all about leveraging resources. Let's make sure. Okay, good. All right. So should we consider business practices when running our our ministries? And that's a question I posed in the the session afterwards, Uh, one of the questions I posed also. We can discuss that further in in your individual groups. I want to set this up for you. Let's talk about big business for a minute. Big business, secular business I'll call it, is focused on making profits. If you don't make profits, you eventually go bankrupt. Companies ship product. What I mean by that is they make a product, and they ship it. In other words, they sell stuff. Stuff's getting out there, and by shipping product, they're then getting profits. It can be cars, it can be computers, it can be iPhones, it can be filling hotel rooms, it can be filling airplane seats. Whatever it is, they're shipping product and making profits. They have a scorecard. Scorecard is making profits and increasing shareholder value. People invest in companies. They want to get a return on their investment. So the managers and leaders of companies have to increase profits and increase shareholder value year over year. Otherwise, the value of the company goes down and eventually they'll be out of a job. So what do they do? They leverage their assets. Including their people. They leverage machinery, vehicles, people, all these are assets. They use those efficiently to make profits, to ship product to make profits. All right, so let's compare that with an independent ministry. Do you think there's any commonality? What's your focus? Winning souls for Christ. That's your profit. I don't know if you thought about it that way before. What's your winning souls for Christ? Do ministries ship product? Absolutely, they do. So when you do health fairs, health expos, lifestyle training, uh, literature goes out, uh, selling health food, whatever it is, you are shipping product to people in order to make a profit, to win souls for Jesus. I've boiled this down to a, a kind of a business jargon, but I'm going somewhere with this, okay? We're going to get into the team thing. This is going to dovetail into our discussion on teams, okay? So you're shipping product. What's your scorecard? How effectively you reach the lost, or the the community out there, right? And then using the funds, oftentimes limited funds, from donations and other other income to then make sure that you are affecting and and getting uh, the word out to as many people as possible. That's your scorecard. And you do that the same way big business does. You're leveraging assets, including your people. Does that make sense? It might sound a little cold and heartless because we're talking about assets and people's assets, but I think you kind of get the point. You want to make sure we leverage the resources that God has given us to reach as many people as possible. Okay. So let's talk about teams. Is there an imperative for teams? We all are (laughs) The better be, right? We all are individual entrepreneurs running our ministries and our businesses. And since we have set the vision and we put probably more time and effort in than anybody else, uh, we oftentimes think uh, we can do it best ourselves, right? And uh, we don't necessarily need other people doing things, but there's a real imperative for teamwork. And I'll start with Jesus. And we're going to talk a a little bit more in the presentation how Jesus was a team builder. But he built and led a team that was very effective both during and after his ministry. Teams of engineers and scientists put men on the moon and brought them safely home again. So John F. Kennedy was the point person, the one visionary who made the great speech, united a whole nation, but it was teams of people that got it done. Teams of doctors and scientists perform heart transplants and many other things. You think about Baby Faye, Little Melinda, many years ago. There's teams of people that got together to do that. How about ADRA, Red Cross, Red Crescent? Teams of aid workers dropping in areas of the world where there are victims of natural disasters, and other types of disasters for that matter. These are teams that get this done. And then every day, all over the world, business teams or ministry teams, are working to innovate and bring new products to market. So right now as we're we're sitting here talking and and, uh, enjoying each other's company, there are people in the Apple corporation that are coming out with the next iPhone. They're working on that technology. And uh, there's teams of people working on Boeing's aircraft. They're making aircraft out of composite materials now. Pretty scary, isn't it? (laughs) They're actually flying. They're doing lighter weight, more efficient. And then, as we learned last night, there are teams of people at uh, Kibadula Farms that have developed this little sticker that, that grows on the outside of the avocado. <laughs> Very innovative. Excellent. Now, I'd like them to develop a way to get the sticker off. How many times have you gone to the market, and you get an apple, you bring it home, you can't get the sticker off the thing? Yeah. So the next innovation is an edible sticker, or one that dissolves in water, I think. <laughs> So teams, (laughs) a committed group of people coming together and working as an effective team can do amazing things. So let's talk about what it means to build and lead a team. I want to start, first of all, with employees. Then we'll get to the leadership portion of it. So go a little backwards here. You as leaders are looking for good employees to join your team. Maybe you already have some. Maybe you're looking for some. Let's kind of define what those look like. Good characteristics, characteristics of good team employees. First of all, we want to look for people who will own their own actions. These are responsible, self-starters, they're passionate, and they want to win. They're not clock punchers, and they're not negative people. Let me describe all this for you. Do You know what it means by being a clock puncher? Okay, hit the time clock, come in, I work, sort of work. I can't wait to go home, so I'm there You know, five seconds before the time to go. As soon as the bell rings, I punch the clock, I get in my car, I go home, and I'm done. I don't really care that much about my job. I'm just collecting the paycheck. There are people that are negative, breed all kinds of negativity around the building. These are not folks that you want on your team. You want people who win, people that desire to, to win and be responsible. By the way, I firmly believe this is, a, this is inherent in people. It's not something you can necessarily train them to do very well. Winners are born that way. You can train only so much. And I, made, I learned early in my career I made lots of mistakes by trying to hire people for positions. I've had, I've had a welding position open. We'd bring in, we'd, we put, resume, you know, we'd put your job description out, you get resumes for a welder. They come in, you do the little test. Oh, the welding's great, it's a beautiful bead, wonderful, wonderful, great. Let's hire that person and we'll bring them in. And four weeks later we find out, yeah, they can weld, but they don't really want to work. They're not getting 40 hours a week. They're missing. They got every week some excuse why they can't be in, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the kind of person you want. I now hire for passion and for a winning attitude. I can train them to be a welder. Does that make sense? So think about that. Those are the kind of people you want in your organization. How about looking at how they manage their own lives? The way they manage your life is probably the way they're going to work for you. People that are organized, they're clean, they present themselves well, they treat their vehicle and their assets nice, they treat their family wonderfully, they're going to do the same thing in your business. People that are kind of sloppy and they're not nice to others, they don't treat their car nice and stuff like that, they're not going to do anything better in your business or in your ministry. They're not going to somehow be a 180 when they come to work. And then look for people that have the three eyes. First one, integrity. It's an absolute must, especially in ministry. You've got to have integrity. If the person doesn't have an integrity in ministry, the entire thing falls apart. You're, you're sending the wrong message to people. There's no question about that one. Have an, oops. And then the next one is, I, I can do it attitude. I can get it done. I, you give me that job, I'll get it done for you. And then intelligence, and I don't mean smarts and IQ. I'm talking about people that know what they don't know. They're smart enough to know to ask the right questions, to find, to find out how to do things. Right? Three eyes. So these are, these are good folk that you want to have in your business. So remember, very important rules here. Find the right people, and you will lead them. Find the wrong people, and you will manage them. Does that make sense? If any of you have read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you see this kind of language in his books. And there's one rule of thumb in the business world that I believe is absolutely correct. The bottom 20% of performers take up 80% of your time. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, okay. So you want people in your organization that are going to come to work every day, they're going to be driven, they're going to be passionate, they're going to put in their time, they're going to to own the business, have ownership. Because the bottom 20% are folks that come in and they always have some excuse, something's not going right, they can't do this, they can't get 40 hours and they will they'll take up a lot of your time. You don't want them in your business. In fact, I'll make a really strong statement here. Those folks, those folks are a disease and a cancer to your business, and they'll rot you from the inside out. That's a very strong statement. But, and, and as a Christian, we have to learn how to deal effectively with these people, and I'm going to talk about that here in, in the presentation. But we also have to realize that at some point, some people just aren't going to come around, and we have to decide how we're going to react to that. Okay, so we've talked about good people. How about being an effective team leader? All right? Effective teams, good effective teams begin and end with good leadership. If you're a lousy leader, your team's not going to go real far. You might have some good people on you to get some stuff done, but you're not going to be nearly as effective uh, unless you have really good leadership skills. So let's talk about a few of those as it relates to teams. Make sure your people are positioned, to, utilize, to best utilize your skills, all right? And let me explain how this works. So let's say you have a person over here that's really good at doing X, Y, and Z, really good at that. Don't have them do A, B, and C. Have them do X, Y, and Z. That's where they're best at. Now, in a small organization, all of us, many of us have small organizations, we have to wear lots of hats, lots of tasks. So maybe there are some C's we have to do, but make sure they're focused on the X, Y, and Z because that's what they're best at. Find somebody else to do the A, Bs, and Cs who's focused, who can do that best. Get your people in the right place. Then train them. Once you train them, and if they're good people, you can then set them loose to do their job. Okay? There will be, there'll be checks and balances. We'll, we'll discuss here in a moment. But uh, train them and set them loose to be creative and responsible. Here's an interesting one. Over-invest in people. Leaders know... Leaders know that people make things happen. Without good people, little good will happen. Many of you know that's true. Better to have one exceptional person than two mediocre ones. Ever seen that before? I found that to be true. I'm going to tell you a little story here in a couple minutes. Um, I found that one really good worker will do more, do more good than two or three mediocre workers. It's absolutely true. Give winners trust praise, freedom, encouragement, if you do that, they'll give it it back to you. you will come back to you in spades. People give back only what they get. So this is your job as a leader. People will, and this is a very important rule, people will accept intellectual flaws in their leaders, meaning you might think different than them. They might accept physical flaws or character flaws, but they will not accept anti-people flaws. You must be a kind person. Respect them. It doesn't mean you have to be roll over. You can be tough. You can have tough love and such, but you must be kind and respect people. And if you do, then they will do great work for you. But if you're an anti-people person, they're not going to respond well, and they're going to eventually leave the organization. It seems like a pretty logical thing that you would, you would be kind to folk uh, in working in ministry and in the Adventist organizations, but if you talk to any ministerial director of any conference, they'll tell you that a large part of their job is dealing with ministers who are autocratic, that can't, can't uh, get along with their parishioners, or maybe they're parishioners that, are, that don't like their minister and trying to get him out and the stuff goes back and forth. People aren't very nice to each other sometimes. It's easy to be nice. Just make that decision. And people respond very well. Good leaders, stop, looking, and listen. All right, so as a business leader, since you know everything, you know the business better than anybody else, it, it would seem like we just talk, right? We talk, you listen, you'll get it done. That's how it works, right? No. good leaders will do more listening than talking to let their people be creative, and some of the best ideas come from people within the organization. Yeah? So be a good listener. Be on high receive, high receive mode, information coming back in. Listening can be learned and practiced. This is one thing you can learn to do if you don't do it well right now. When someone is speaking, stop what you're doing, look at them, and listen. Be engaged, and they'll notice that you are, and they'll respect you for it. And listening is equated with wisdom and intelligence. Did you know that? Yeah. Being a good listener. All right. Treat all people as special. People can do more if they're motivated and thanked. You may not be able to give monetary rewards or other type of rewards, but just thanking someone for a job well done goes a long ways. Be communicative and, and thank people. This is an area that I've, I've had difficulty with over the years because I'm, I'm not very good at giving a lot of praise. I've had to work on that. My wife tells me all the time. Give more praise. Just say thank you to people more often. So That's an area for me to work on. And then find this last one's kind of tricky. Overpay your people. Okay, so this is a concept. I recognize that in independent ministries, oftentimes, funds are very tight. So overpaying your people may not necessarily be money. Maybe it is. But it could be giving them an opportunity to take on a special project and be, lead that project. It could be a title, director of massage therapy. I'm, not, I'm just making things up. But uh, an opportunity to have some type of, of, of recognition for what they do. Okay, Overpay your people. You are better off to have fewer exceptional people all making more money than they should than to have the same or lower payroll costs with more people. All right, let me tell you a story. So after working and, and managing and leading people for many years in different organizations, I kind of thought I had it figured out. And uh, I'm in my sixth year now owning this company. The first four years, we spent a lot of time uh, growing the business, getting new models out there and product. Developing the team uh, so that we could really kind of hit good growth mode. And I thought last, last year, 2013, is going to be a year that we, we really take off. It all comes together. And so I put the, the machine in place to do that. I spent more on marketing. I got some dealers involved to get more product out to the market. I hired a high priced general manager. And I had a pretty good sized production crew to be able to handle the volume when it hit. What do you think happened? It didn't hit. So, for whatever reasons, I misjudged the market and market timing, and we did all right last year, but not nearly as well as we should have. And around May, I realized that I had made a serious managerial mistake. Looked in the mirror and said, oops, I made a mistake, and set, set myself up for, for potential defeat. So, I realized that 2014 was going to have to be different, because I wasn't going to live through 2013 again the way that, with what we did. So, hear me clearly now. My general manager resigned and went to another company and I didn't replace him. Since that time, last summer, I have cut my production crew in half. I have exactly half as many people now as I did a year ago at this time. I didn't just arbitrarily fire people. Everybody that's out of my organization now were people that did clock punching or in the case of two people decided to do insubordinate behavior when I was out of the office. Those were easy ones to terminate but the, half my crew is gone now the crew that I have left are winners they're highly motivated they take ownership they love what they do I've paid them more and now I can come here and talk to you and know that they're working they're working well today I know that when I'm in, when I'm in the office I'm there I'm watching things I, do, I set a production schedule I'm mingling but I'm not babysitting I'm not micromanaging I know that things are getting done and they know they'll get rewarded for it if if that happens. Guess what? I'm producing the same volume right now as I did last year with half as many people. The quality's better, the organization's happier, and one really big benefit was that my best people are much happier that the people that weren't doing well are no longer there. So you understand that? That was a real big. That was. I mean, you think you know it all after you do a few years, but you realize, you realize you don't know much of anything until you go through an experience like that. So, I look at things very different now. I'm probably going to have my most profitable year ever, and we're not even going. To, our volume is just going to be kind of nice and steady. But it's because I've managed it different. I've, I'm using the resources that God has blessed us with in a more productive way. So, I really feel bad that I wasted so much money last year and didn't use those resources. But uh, we live and learn. So I wanted, to kind of bring, I wanted to show you that. So I know that, I know that in, in, the, in church work, in, in Christian work, it's the, word, the idea of firing people is a little bit difficult and hard to swallow. I'm going to talk a little bit about that here in a minute. But you need to make sure you have the right people in your organization. It's important. Train them, put your time into them, and you'll do great things. Okay, so let's go on here then. How do we motivate our team then? You motivate your employees by driving your organization to be the best. Remember, you're the leader, so you want your organization to be the best. People want to work for the best organizations. Okay? Let me explain how this works in big business. A company called General Electric, which is one of the, you know, one of the most famous brands in the world, uh, was run fairly well up until the early 80s mostly gaining its notoriety on appliances. Most of us have their appliances in our house. But it, it had not broken through to that next level until they hired a, a, a CEO by the name of Jack Welch. Many of you have heard of Jack Welch. He's, he's over 20 years with General Electric as a CEO. Many people consider him probably the most the most famous manage, managerial, corporate managerial guru of all time because he put things in place that no one had ever tried before and it worked spectacularly well. Now GE is one of the most... The largest companies in the world with great shareholder value. He retired a few years ago. He did a couple things that were pretty tough, though. He wanted his organization, his organization to be the best. He looked at all the divisions in the company, no matter what they made, jet engines, appliances, lighting, industrial, whatever it was, and he said, every single one of our businesses need to be number one or number two in the marketplace, otherwise we got to fix them within a year or we shut them down or sell them. Yeah, and that's what he did. Every single business in GE within a very short period of time was either number one or number two in the market, or he, hired, or he sold the business, shut it down, and, uh, and moved on. Can we apply that to what we do? I think we can. I mean, maybe not in such a, a cold type of, uh, of discussion, but we can make sure that what we do is the best. God expects the, express the best of us. Put our energies in. We're gonna, if we're going to do it, if we're going to go out and do some type of lifestyle center, let's do the best ad that we possibly can with the resources given us. Now, he also did one other thing. I don't necessarily recommend you do this. Um, he also wanted to make sure he had the best people working for him. So his idea of building good teams and good people was that every single year all his division and business unit managers and, pre, and presidents would meet and they would have all their list of people that worked for them and they'd rank them. The top group would get the most money. The middle group would get good money and plans in place so they could be moving to the top group. The bottom 10% every single year were fired. Think about that for a second. Every year, that's thousands of people. And then they'd hire in new people to try to move up. And that's how he kept making his team better and better. Well, it worked. I'm not saying we should do that, but (laughs) it worked for him. But the idea was that's how he used some very very tough tactics to make sure his organization was the best, and people wanted to work there. Even to this day, people want to work at General Electric. And there are other examples as well, other companies. Okay, clearly communicate what performance and behaviors are desired. You've set the vision, you've set the strategy, you know where you want to go, make sure your people understand that. Communicate, communicate, communicate. And then reward in a way that is consistent with that communication. So if people perform, to the way they're supposed to, then re- reward them somehow, whatever that is in your organization. Like I said, uh, we may, it may not just be money, it may be some other things, but reward people for, for the work they do. We recognize them. So, even if it's just a thank you, recognize them. This is a really important one that a lot of people don't understand, they don't get this, but it works remarkably well. It's differentiating people based on performance. When you have a group of employees, you think you gotta, kind of, people think, I wanna treat them all the same, right? No, you don't want to treat them the same. You want to treat them differently. Let's say you have two people. This is a good employee. This is an exceptional employee. You pay them the same. What's going to happen? good employee is going to say, great, I'm getting paid fair price. I'm not going to work any harder because I'm getting paid well. This guy is going to be, he's going to say, well, how come I'm getting the same pay as this person when I'm doing much better work, and eventually they're going to leave? All right? You want to reward differentially. By doing so, this person will be more motivated and do better work for you because they realize they're, they're getting compensated fairly. Again, compensation isn't just money. This person is gonna be incentivized to get to that level. You see it? It's, a, it's, a, it's something, if you, can, if you can get that concept, this differentiation. It's a very important one in, uh, in business. All right. Paying very well when it's deserved. Again, uh, I know a lot of this is about money in your organization, how can you do this? And I, had some, I had a couple ideas. I thought, if you have somebody who does a great job and you've got a lot of projects going on, and we listened last night, and some of the projects taking place in, in, in Mexico and, and some of the other ones we heard about, there's so much going on, it's unbelievable. If you've got a good employee, give them a chance to take ownership of one of those projects and drive it. Yeah? That's reward. You're putting your faith in them, you're training them, and setting them loose to do great things. And then work hard to train your employees, including giving your life lessons to them, things that you've learned. Train them and tell them, tell them stories so that they understand, understand this. These phrases are very commonplace in business. Most businesses will say they do this. Most businesses don't do it very well. The ones that do are exceptional businesses. Ministries that do these types of things I believe will be very exceptional. All right, how do we hold team members accountable? Because we must hold people accountable, right? If they're working for us. Let's talk about leadership just for a minute. Your number one job as a business leader is to have the vision set for the organization. If you're in paperwork and minutia, you're not doing your job right. Your number one job is to set the vision for the organization. Closely behind that is setting the agenda to achieve the vision for the organization. Then, every time you open your mouth, you're talking about the vision. When you talk to your people, you're talking about the vision. When you're sitting by somebody in an airplane, you're talking about the vision. When you are at OCI talking to your colleagues, you're talking about the vision. You're always talking about the vision for your organization. Setting the agenda. And now, it's easy to set goals and objectives. So we communicate what is expected and how it relates to the overall vision. We let employees see their place in that vision and then we don't micromanage them. We let them work. You may want to set some type of goals. We're a little too far away here, sorry. You may want to set some type of performance measures against those goals. And I'm going to walk you through this here in just a minute. Let's give you the high level. Then you do review so they understand how they're performing. They give you get praise for what's going well. And then you highlight areas to improve. So let me give an example of this. All right, so Naomi is working for OCI now. She's abandoned poor Jose. He's on his own. And uh, she's now working for Stephen at OCI. So Stephen meets with her at the beginning of the year to set her goals. I don't know if they did this or not. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I'm going to give you an example. So they meet. Stephen has established the vision. She understands what the vision is. And so now he's, they're establishing goals together, which he's going to accomplish over this next year. Help with organizing the OCI leadership retreat, maybe putting, putting together a portfolio of different uh, uh, skills and, and tools and things that ministries can use to get started, uh, whatever it might be, some type of project. And so they outline what that is. I do this with my people. This is done in corporate America all the time. It's the norm. I meet with my folks twice a year. Individually, So the beginning of the year, we would set the goals. And then halfway through the year, he meets back with her, and they see how she's performing against those. What's going well? What's not going quite so well? And they tweak things and go back and forth. Then at the end of the year, there's a review of how they performed or how she performed against those goals. And again, you talk about what went well, what didn't go quite so well, what the... Reward system might be for that, whether it's bonuses or salary increase, or whether it's more more uh, opportunities or uh, or a new project that she's working on. Whatever the case may be, this type of loop feedback loop then works very well for employees. They know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They they're aligned with the vision of the organization, and they're out there out there doing the best they can. Um, while they're working, you. You have meetings. You keep in touch with each other, so you know things are going well. You don't just set them loose to do just to take off and do stuff, but you don't need to micromanage them because everything's aligned properly. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's suppose for a moment things don't go quite so well. Naomi's doing doing great. Craig, on the other hand, he's the new vice president. Remember. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen brought him on a couple years ago to do the VP and really expand the, the ministry. And he's, he's a great people person, does a pretty good job. But There's some areas that Stephen's been pounding into him every, every six, three six months. Just not quite getting this, not quite getting this, not quite getting this. And you come to a, Stephen comes to a point, he's like, we've got to do something different. So he sits Craig down. And this is what would happen in my organization. So I'm not saying you should be quite the same way. But in my organization, I would sit Craig down and say, Craig, I like having you here. You're a good guy, you bring some good skills, but we've talked several times about how you're not quite performing in these areas here, and I'm at the point now where if I can't get you to where I need you, I'm going to have to move you out of the organization and bring someone in who can do the job because I only have limited resources. So my last step is what I call a performance improvement plan. I outline very specifically what improvements I need to see in the next 60 to 90 days for him to be able to stay on with the organization. Does that make sense? And I say, Craig, if you don't feel comfortable with this, feel free to resign. <laughs> I'm, I, I, won't take, I won't take offense, but I can tell you at the end of the 60 to 90 period, whatever that period is, if we're not performing better, I'm gonna make that decision for you. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to find a different opportunity. So that's a tough conversation, but it's an honest conversation. It's actually kind of a Christian conversation. I struggled with this for a long time because I believe as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian business person, that I should be long suffering with people, and I'm evangelizing. I want to evangelize customers and suppliers and my employees. So I take it personally when I can't get somebody to work properly in my organization, and I have to get to the point where a termination might have to take place. I struggled with this for a long time, and I'll tell you what really did it for me is after two or three times hanging on to people because I wanted to make sure I gave them opportunity to to have a relationship with God somehow through. My company, and realizing that I was getting burned big time, I lost tens of thousands of dollars hanging on to people that were never going to get there. And I wasn't doing a service to them. I was actually being almost anti-Christian because I wasn't being honest with them. And I was being I wasn't a good example to my current employees because they're seeing this poor behavior and thinking, what kind of organization is this guy running? And so I, I had to start taking a more honest tougher line, it's their choice after all, that they can turn things around. But if they, didn't, they don't get to that point, then I have to move them out of the organization. And I've, I've had to do that several times. I've done five performance improvement plans in my career, five. Four, did not respond well, and we parted ways. One, responded extremely well. And he's one of my most valuable employees. I can't imagine doing business without him. He's, he's awesome. And so there, there are ways to, to treat people with respect, and hopefully they'll respond. <coughs> So does that make sense? Amen. Okay. Again, I understand it's very sensitive and difficult conversation to have as a Christian, especially if you have working with other Adventist Christians in your organizations to talk about termination. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm saying it's something you need to consider this whole thing as you run your organization. Does that make sense? Okay. okay. So the good and bad of it all. When it all goes good, you have a highly efficient, effective organization. It will largely run itself. Wow, what a great thing when it runs itself. Because then you, as the business leader, are set free to vision and plan and grow the business or the ministry. It accomplishes much more than other organizations. What I mean by that are ones that are not run so well. You accomplish way more than others. And then you have low employee turnover. I don't care what type of organization you run, it's going to cost you something if you have people coming in and out, whether you're in a ministry or whether you're in a business. It's going to cost you a lot. You want to get good employees and retain them. And then everybody is excited to come to work every day. How about when it all goes bad? Lazy, ineffective personnel who consume your time and resources? Negative and critical environment? Hopefully you haven't seen this in your organizations, but I I suspect some of you have. I have. It's a drain on your time and becomes very hard to execute against your vision because you're down working with those 20% all the time, and it's sucking the life out of you. It's It's not a good place to be. You will underperform as an organization. You will struggle with finances. If you think budgets are tight now, manage inefficiently. Budgets become terribly tight, much worse. You waste lots of money. And... If you haven't experienced this, your stress and anxiety levels will be much higher. I can't can't tell how many times I've stressed and worried about having a hard conversation with somebody, and after going through that a few times, I realized they're the ones making the choice, so I just need to present it to them, and and I'm gonna react to 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 what they choose. Here's the punchline. You control both scenarios. As a business leader, you have the choice what kind of organization you wanna run. All right? If that's not plain. Okay, so I want to get to the good part here. Let's use a really great example. Have you ever thought about Christ, Jesus Christ as a team leader, a team builder? Maybe you have. We could, we could spend all day on this, but I'm just going to hit some highlights. We're going to use this. We're going to kind of talk about this in, in uh, relation to what we've already covered in the presentation. Jesus built a team. He took raw talent, people that wanted to win. Peter. Andrew, James, John, right? People that wanted to win, raw fisherman talent. And he trained them. He also hired people that had specific skills, like Matthew, financial skills. Uh, one could also say Judas probably had some financial skills. Um, there are A lot of the other disciples, we don't know exactly what they all did, but uh, we could probably ascertain some of the very skill sets that Christ was looking for. Then he led a team. He established the vision and the vision's all over the, all over the New Testament, obviously. I just pulled out John 10.10. 10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He set the vision and set the team to work. He trained them at the Mount of Olives. Not only was he talking to the people with an earshot, he was talking to his own disciples, wasn't he? He's training them. The Mount of Transfiguration, more training took place. In the temple with the money changers, they learned a whole new lesson about what, what, uh, what Christ thought about some of those uh, the activities there and then remember the time when he told suffered little children to come unto me, more lessons being learned he trained them, on the job training he gave them the tools they would need to be effective the gospel message the ability to do miracles and a humble yet bold approach and then he delegated he sent them out two by two remember that? Mark Mark 6, 7 through 13. Sent about two by two. And another time he delegated pick up leftovers after feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000. So he delegated tasks. Very effective team leader. Built the team, led the team, established the vision, trained them, gave them the tools they needed. He held people accountable. How about when Peter denied him three times? He held Peter accountable. He put Peter kind of on a performance improvement plan. Peter responded spectacularly well, didn't he? He had performance reviews. Did you know that? James and John. Remember the time when uh, the whole conversation about sitting on his right side and left side and the rest of the disciples didn't care for that too much, did they? Not a, not a, uh, a very good move on their part. And he had a performance review with them and explained how that was not, not, was not going to happen. And then whether it's a termination or resignation, it could be debated, but <laughs> he had someone move out of the organization, Judas. and It was not, it was not pretty Jesus was a very effective manager. And here's the part I like the most. He set the organization in place to run when he was no longer there. And not just when he went out on vacation or went to an OCI retreat or something, when he went back to heaven. He set the organization in place to run, and it's still running to this day. Very effective team leader. I want to close with this excellent leaders. Excellent leaders make people feel that they are asked, not questions. Overpaid, not underpaid. Measured, not monitored. People, not personnel. I talked about people being assets at the beginning. That's kind of a cold way to look at it. But I think you understand what we're saying here. Our assets are people, not personnel. Sold on what to do, not told what to do. Instrumental, not instruments. Workers, not worked. If you like what you do, you can't wait to get out, the, up, out of bed in the morning and get, get to it. It doesn't feel like work, does it? Workers, not worked. Contributors, not cost. And finally, needed and heated. So I hope this was uh, somewhat useful to you. I wanted to present some to go back sir. Sure. So I wanted to present some, some things from the world of business that I believe relate very strongly to, to independent ministries and things that we do in our church organizations. And I hope there's something here you can take back with you that'll make your organizations more efficient and uh, more focused on spreading the gospel because I don't know about you. Christ can't get here soon enough. Christ can't here soon. Enough. So I appreciate your time. Um, we're right on time. Do you want me to take any questions? Do you want to move to the... Uh... Can we clap? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we probably should ask close the prayer. The... Okay. All right, so I'll have a closing prayer here in just a moment, and then we'll move into our, our discussion groups. Uh, Stephen and Naomi asked you to put together 10 questions. I put together some pretty hard questions for discussion. I don't expect you to get through all 10 of them. But there's some really really thought-provoking questions in there about how you as, as uh, ministry leaders can best run your organizations. Okay. So let's have a closing prayer please. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our time together. We thank you for uh, the intelligence that you have, and wisdom you have given us to be able to uh, use various, various tools and methods to effectively run our ministries. Lord, it's not an easy task to be a leader. There are all kinds of distractions every day that come across our desks. Satan is trying to get us at every angle. But we know that you want us to be effective leaders for you, that you will lead us in the right direction, and that you bring the right people to work with us. And Lord, we pray above all that these things will be to your glory and honor and not our own. We leave ourselves in your care for the remainder of this day. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse